Good morning. Good morning. Um, so much to do. So little time to do it in. Uh, all right. If you have your Bibles, why don't you grab um, a few different places here? Uh, Exodus chapter 16. Uh, Job chapter 23. Um, and then we'll, we'll see if we make it anywhere else. But uh, time dependent. Thank you, Jesus. Whew. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for uh, who you are and everything that you're doing in and in us and through us and all around us and for us. And we're grateful, Lord, that you are constantly, constantly, constantly helping us, constantly loving us and constantly demonstrating, proving your goodness to us. And we thank you, God for your wonderful plans for our life and for your, your just incredible hope that we have in you and that we have nowhere else in this world. And we pray, God, that as we're here this morning, that you would make yourself more real to us and that you would help us and that you would love us and that you would uh, just manifest yourself to us, God. And help me, Jesus, and help us, Jesus, because we need it, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Morning. Hope you're doing well. Have we read Exodus chapter 16 recently? I feel like maybe it's just me. Happy Mother's Day to those of you that are mothers. Yep, including the pregnant ones. Thank you, Jesus. We are grateful for our mothers. Um, First Peter chapter 1, one of my favorite portions of Scripture. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read a few verses to you, and then um, we're going to uh, blaze through this and go on to something else. Blessed be the God of our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Thank you, Jesus, who by God's power being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this we rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the verse that I want to park on this morning. First Peter chapter 1, verse 7. Mm, love it. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that, why? Why is it that you were grieved by various trials? Actually, backwards, why is it necessary that you face various trials and that you be grieved by them? So that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That the tested genuineness of your faith, I love this little phrase that Peter uses, the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. Hmm. Faith that is genuine glorifies God, and, uh, and that makes it more valuable than anything it can do for you, that it glorifies God, that God is glorified, actually, when it's found that what is in you is real, and it's true. It's genuine, in other words. And faith is only genuine if it's been tested. Okay, all right, I still have a little time. Thank you, Jesus. We're just we're gonna move around along a little slowly this morning. That's okay. Faith is only is only genuine if it's tested. Um, faith that you uh, proclaim. The proverb says that many a man proclaims his own faithfulness. Uh, it's very easy to say I will run a marathon. Harder to do it. 
that's, that's the um, abiding principle of New Year's resolutions. Uh, it's easier to say that you're going to do something than to do it. And likewise, it's easier to say that you have faith in God than to actually have faith in God. For just a million reasons. Like, it's, it's easier to say that you have faith in God than to actually have faith in God. And guess what? God is not glorified by people saying that they have faith. He's only glorified in genuine faith. And the only reason to tell if your faith is genuine is to test it. And as it turns out, according to 1 Peter and a few other places, your, te- your faith becomes more genuine as it becomes more tested. And so Peter uh, um, compares it to, to gold that has been refined, which is um, uh, a metaphor that's used a few different places in, in the Bible that, um, uh, about this, the idea of being refined. So as you probably know, if you ever paid for gold, for instance, if you ever had to buy like a gadget ring or something like that, um, the gold that is more refined is more valuable. And as you've probably learned in Sunday school, though, I, I doubt that any of you have blacksmithed before just because of the uh, generation that we live in. But you've probably learned in Sunday school that the way that gold is refined is that it's, it's, it's boiled, it's, it's melted, it's heated to a very, very high temperature, right? And then it becomes molten. And what happens when it becomes molten? The impurities rise to the top. But just like most things, it's not something that happens immediately. It's not like a... Uh, it's not one of those things that's like once it reaches its melting point, immediately all the impurities come out. It actually takes time. And so in Psalm, I think it's 12, um, the psalmist says that the word of God is like silver refined seven times. Uh, Which is very interesting. Um, It's very interesting that, that... uh, you have to refine something over and over and over and over and over again to get it to a pure state. And uh, that being refined is not a matter of like, you know, I prayed the sinner's prayer once. There's nothing to do with that. I mean, I mean, it's good that you did that. That's a good starting point. But you actually have to do it and you do it over and over and over and over and over again. And in, in, the, in the life of a Christian, it means that you continue to allow yourself to be tested over and over and over again because every single time you're tested, it results in some refinement, some, some purification in you that makes faith that used to just be talk into faith that is real faith, genuine faith. And that's pretty incredible. There are a lot of things that, um, that you should do more than once. For instance, have you ever had um, fried chicken that was really crispy? Fried chicken that's really crispy is, is rare these days. Most places, the fried chicken is not that crispy, like KFC, for instance. Nothing against KFC, but it's not that crispy. Do you know how they get fried chicken very crispy? There are actually some fried chicken places that cheat by using a different coating on the outside. But a true, like, artisan chicken friary, do you know how they get their fried chicken to be very crispy? You fry it multiple times. So you fry the chicken, and then you let it rest. This is a hint for any of you that are, have a deep fryer home and you don't want to practice. You, but feel free, this is one of those sermons that's like applicable immediately. <laughs> the application is obvious. You don't have to wonder what, what, what purpose does this serve in my normal life. This is applicable immediately. When you get your deep fryer and you fry your chicken, you fry your chicken, right? And then you let it rest. And let it cool down. And then what do you do? You throw it back in the deep fryer and you let it fry again. And that's how, like for Korean fried chicken, for instance, that's how they make it like super crispy. It's just like you fry it again. And then uh, chef said, well, if you can fry it twice, why can't you fry it a third time? And so people now, some, like the really fancy places, you get fried chicken, they fry it three times for you to make it uber crispy. Now you may think that frying chicken three times, sorry, this is a tangent. You may think that frying chicken three times will just burn it and char it and make it nasty. Friend, you would be wrong. I mean, there is a way to char chicken, but, but, but there's also a way to do it correctly. So the more you fry it, the more crispy it becomes. Anyways, Anyways, your faith is like that. <laughs> it's not about putting you in the fryer once. It's about doing it over and over and over again until your faith becomes genuine and becomes pure. And it becomes pure. If you, um, um, sometimes when we hear about you know, uh, these things that the Bible wants us to be, you know, righteous, humble, wise, uh, some of us think, oh, I already am that. And uh, th- that would be a very silly way to think. Um, and yet there are plenty of people that are like, oh, the Bible says be patient. I already am. Um, okay. 
Uh, no, but, but, but okay, that's a misconception. Um, what God does in and through your life perpetually throughout as long as you're alive on this earth is that he continues to work on you because as he works on you, you become more genuine. You like to think that you're very genuine now. I would like to think that I'm very genuine now. But everybody in this room says things that they don't do. Everybody in this room probably thinks more highly of themselves than they truly are. Some, it's a big cap. Some, it's a short, it's a small gap. Hopefully your gap is pretty small. For some people, I think the gap is, Uh, which is which is okay, but but the point is that like as you, it's the trials that God puts you through in life and walking through them well that allows that gap to actually close. It's pretty incredible. There are some people that don't like the idea of being tested, but it's only a test if you can't pass. For instance, if you were to go to Sister Lily, who's a math major, and you're like, Lily, quick, what's she plus two? That's not a test. I mean, we feel like a you know, it, it is not a test. Why is it not a test? Because it's, it's, it's not, there's no tension, there's no struggle. No, well, duh, I mean, hopefully she knows what two plus two is. There's, uh, but but that, that's, that's not a test. But, you know, 632,000, like, I mean, that, that, like, you know, that's a test because you can't do it that quickly. But, but it's not a test if you can do it very easily. Does that make any sense? And so when the Bible says that God tests you what he does, which I, we're going to read a few different verses here, some people that I don't want to be tested, what does God test me? It's only a test if it's challenging for you. And if it's challenging for you, then it reveals that there are things in your life that where the work of the Holy Spirit is not complete. And he wants, he, that, he wants that. There's, it's useful. It's good. We should desire struggles and strains and difficulties because of what it does to you. It makes you more real, actually. There's not a single person that likes to think of themselves as fake, but everybody in this room is fake to a certain extent. The question is if you're 1% fake or if you're 99% fake. And, and you can, you know, but, but as you become more tested, actually you become more real. Your relationship with God becomes more real, who you are becomes more real, it's, it, and, and that is fantastic. It's, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. So it's worth it. But that's, that's, so that's what he says. In this, you rejoice. I don't know if we rejoice in testing, but Peter says, in this, you rejoice. So we're supposed to rejoice in testing. Okay. In this, you rejoice. Though now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. You're only, you're only grieved if it's necessary that it grieves you. Do you know what that means? That, that means that if you, when you pass, God stops testing you. So you feel like you're often tested by God. Anyways, moving on. Exodus chapter 16. I love Exodus chapter 16. I don't know if I've read it to you um, recently, uh, but I really enjoy this story. Um, the story is uh, very similarly recounted in Numbers chapter 11, I'm, I think, uh, with a little bit more detail, but, but this version is fine. They set out from Elam, and the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between... Elim and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt when we had sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out of this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. I, I mean, people complain about their leaders. I, I didn't realize this happened. Um, but, uh, but evidently, the, the people of Israel, that was a joke. Um, but evidently, the people of Israel um, had this. So God has, has led the people of Israel out, right? Out of Egypt, where they were slaves. Remember where they were slaves? They were, they were asked to make bricks without straw. Do you remember that? Okay. And so they cried out to God, and God led them out, right? With a mighty hand and outstretched arm. And so now they're in the second month. They're halfway through the second month, and they're in the wilderness, and they're complaining. What are they complaining about? Complaining about the fact that they don't have the food that they like to eat. And so they say this, and so they start complaining and they say this, would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you've brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. When you listen to that, if you were to assume that you actually believe what they said, would you not have some sympathy for them? That sounds really bad, right? Like, you know, I, I used to be so content and so happy with pots full of meat and bread, you know, I eat as much bread as I want. Now I'm in the wilderness stuck with you. You've brought me out here to kill me. 
It sounds like a genuine complaint until you realize that it's a total lie. Where as a slave did you have pots full of meat and so much bread to eat that, you know, like, where in the history of, of slavery, in the history of the world has it ever happened that slaves sat by pots full of meat? And, and, and I mean, th this is not real. Do you understand? This is not real. But because it is in their heart to complain, they have fabricated a set of circumstances that never existed, was never real, in order to justify their complaint. But what God does next is actually very interesting because God knows that they're liars and, and God knows that they don't deserve squat. But instead of just judging them, which God actually does, in Numbers 11, when they complain again about their hunger, God actually, that's what God does. God sends fire uh, around the camp and the fire around the camp begins to burn people on the outside of the camp. So they start running into the middle of the camp. And then they're like, Moses, help us. God is judging us. Well, yeah, you complain. You lied. But anyways, so, but in this case, that's not what God does. Verse 4, the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. Uh, um, this is really interesting. Okay, this is really interesting. Okay, so the people don't have the food that they like to eat, right? So there's a complaint in their heart, and they have erected a false justification for their complaint, like total fabrication of their circumstances in order to justify their complaining, right? They're lying before God. Now, I would think that the right response in this situation is for God to just smite everybody and say, you all complain, like you're lying and complaining, oh, I'm just going to smite you. That's not what God does. So what does God do instead? He blesses them with exactly what they want. But, it's, it's, but, but he explains why. He says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you exactly what you want. Why? So that I can test you to see if you will obey me or not. It, it, so it's not, a, um, it's, it's not a fake blessing. It's a real blessing, but it's not just a blessing. It's a blessing that comes with a test. And the test is not a punishment. The test is an opportunity for your, for your complaining to become gratitude. It, do you understand? Like, it's not, it's not that God hates them or condemns them or, like, is, is ready to kill them. Because, I mean, if he wanted to do that, he could just do that directly. That's very easy. That's not what he's doing. He's blessing them, but, but the blessing is a test so that as they become tested, their heart before him can become more genuine. And this is like an incredible thing that God does that we don't necessarily appreciate. You see, there are shortfalls in our own lives, right? And we think the natural thing to do would be for God to smite us. That's correct. But that's not what God does because he loves us and because he's more wise and more intelligent and more capable than, you know, than our parents were. Our parents just has us like, go upstairs and I'm going to give you a spanking. <clears throat> God is a little bit more creative than that. And so what God does instead is he gives you what you want so that he can test you in that. That's incredible. So like, because if my parents parented me that way, I would have had a lot more toys when I was a kid. Do you know? It's like, you want a PS5? I'll give you a PS5 to test you, to see if you're able to stay within 30 minutes a day. Like, you know, I, I mean, that's a different breed of, 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 of parenting, but it's because God's ultimate desire is not just to squash us and squash all of our desires. His ultimate desire is that our heart would be right before him, that our faith and our trust and our love and our gratitude, that all these things would be genuine. And they only become genuine, not by depriving us of these things, but if they become genuine when he gives it to us, but then, but then with strings attached in a certain sense so that we can continue to be tested day by day, right? So he gives them bread to eat, right? That's going to rain out of the sky. Bread that's going to rain out of the sky. I mean, that's crazy. And he said, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day so that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. So it's a blessing with rules. It's a blessing with rules. And what's the rule? The rule is you can eat as much as you want, but you can't save it. So then God has addressed the thing that you've complained about, not having food, but he is now revealing the thing that he really wants, which is your faith. 
So you can have it and you can eat it, but you can't save it. So he's filled you, but he forces you to trust him. I love that God has ways to get what he wants out of us. And, and this is much more uh, uncomfortable, by the way, than just not having anything and complaining. Do you know that there are, there are certain people that, that they've become so good at, I'm not looking at anybody in particular. Um, they, uh, I, I'm, I'm kidding, but you'll find this very often in the world. They're so good at feeling like a victim that they actually do okay spiritually when they are actually a victim. When they actually don't have any friends or don't have any money or don't have any, like when things are really going poorly in life, they do really well. But once you come in and begin to address those things and try to bless them a little bit, all of a sudden they start floundering. And they can't handle blessing very well at all. And they begin, there's more complaining and blessing, than like there's more like, like, like negative stuff that comes out in blessing than there is that comes out in, in, in the struggle. Because you learn to do well in the struggle, but you can't, you don't know how to do well in the blessing. And this is, this is God. You see, he, he wants to bless you, but he, he, he wants your faith to be genuine. And so he's going he's gonna to test you to make sure that's the case. And how does he test them? At the end of every day, what happens? Their breadbasket needs to be empty. Because if it's not empty, what happens? It turns into worms. Right? So what's, what's the test? The test is, will you empty your breadbasket every day and trust that God will continue to provide for you day by day by day by day by day? And by the way, it's a test that we still fail today. My position on finances, as you know, is that, is, that, is that we give our money to heaven. Because Jesus said very clearly, do not store up treasures on earth. It was not a suggestion. Is it a suggestion? Does do not sound like a suggestion? It's like, if you don't want to store up treasures on earth, don't store up treasures on earth. That's not what Jesus said. He says, do not store up treasures on earth. Because it is idolatry to trust Bank of America more than you trust God. That's what happens when you put your money with Bank of America. Is that you believe tomorrow your money will still be at Bank of America. But if you give your money to God, you think that it's just gone. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that a man that gives money to the poor makes a loan to God. Oh God, I love making loans to God. I love making loans to people that pay outrageous rates of interest. Thank you, Jesus. The United States government, interest rate, not that great. It's currently like four and three quarters. It's like, it's not that great. You know, if you have a good bank, they'll pay you 5% for a savings account. God pays a hundredfold interest. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The greatest get-rich-quick scheme in the history of man is to give all your money to God. Wealth on this earth, wealth in the life to come. Like, it, it's just like... Oh, thank you, Jesus. I mean, who? What venture capital fund promises you a hundredfold money back guaranteed? Hmm? Doesn't exist, Jesus. Anyways, moving on. So, so God says, I'm going to bless you, but I'm going to test you because he's going to answer. The cry that they have is a legitimate cry, but God's after the, the, the genuineness of their faith. And so he's going to do that. And I feel like um, this is not a test that we pass very well. We don't enjoy being tested. We, we enjoy being not tested. But the reason it's a test is because it's a struggle. If it were not, does that make any sense? The very fact that you feel like you're being tested is because you can't do what it is that you're being tested in. Um, uh, have you ever noticed that sometimes, uh, like Emily or Sydney or Carolyn, they'll play a worship song and you could just sing right along and you don't feel tested because it's just nice. And, but then, you know, if they were to go up an octave, you'd be like, all of a sudden, you'd be like, now I'm tested. <laughs> do you know? Every human has limits, and it's actually fairly easy to find your limits. It's not that difficult. And people that don't think they have limits is just, they're just absurd. Like, I mean, you know, you could think that you're the greatest singer on earth, but Emily can play a few keys, and we'll find which ones that you can't hit. Like, it's not, it's not that hard. It's very easy to find every human's limits. Seven and a half octaves on that keyboard. There's nobody in this room that has seven. If you do, <laughs> boy, do I have a career for you. Like, it's... <laughs> There's nobody in this room that has a voice with seven and a half octaves. Like, you know, I mean, Christina Aguilera doesn't have seven and a half octaves. It's, uh, so, but it's very easy to find human limits. If, if, you're not being, if you're not living at your limits, it's because 
you're not walking into the testing that God has for you. And if you're not walking to the testing God has for you, your faith is not being refined day by day. It's important that you struggle. It's important that you be grieved. It's important that you go through these things because it's not God hating you. It's God isolating the, uh, something in your life that he's not content with the reality, the authenticity of it. And he's going to go after it over and over. It's like gold, you know, with a bunch of stuff stuck in the middle of it. So he decides to boil that gold and to boil it again and again and again and again, and again until it's pure enough that when it is revealed to all of creation, the type of faith that you had, that all of creation gives God glory for being able to create and to to, to foster so much faith in people. It's your faith that gives God joy and pleasure and delight. And for that reason, you should do everything that you possibly can to maximize it. And anything in your life that, that feels uncomfortable to you, that feels uh, um, a little disjointed, that feels like tense, that feels like a struggle, but that ultimately increases your faith, it's worthwhile, do you know? One of my favorite passages about this is in Job chapter 23. Job 23, by the way, is one of the most beautiful um, chapters of wisdom literature. I love Job 23, um, and, uh, and incidentally, Job 24, but not reading Job 24 today. There we go. Job 23. Job, in Job 23, Job asks the question, what, where is God? And like, what, what is he doing? Like what, but he knows the answer, but he's still asking the question anyway. Do you, why is he asking the question? Because even though theologically he knows the answer, experientially, he's not experiencing God in the way that he would like to experience God. But he has a confession, which is the one that we're going to get to. Here we go. Then Job answered and said, Today my comp also my complaint is bitter. My hand is heavy on account of my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know what he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me in the greatness of his power? No, he would pay attention to me. There an upright man could argue with him, and I would be acquitted forever by my judge. I just, just love what Job says. If you haven't um, uh, found time to, to think about this uh, a lot, and you're going through something that's difficult in life, this is one of those portions of scripture that I think will give you great encouragement. Because Job knows that he's right. But he also knows that God, in this season of his life, is strangely distant from him. And so he asks these questions like, where can I find him? Where, where could I just, you know, come before him and, and make my argument? And, they said, and he recognizes that he's a sinner. But, and he said, well, how will God treat me? God's not going to oppose me in the greatness of his power. No, I'm going to be able to make my arguments to him and he's going to acquit me. He's going to find me innocent. And he's hoping for that. He's looking for the opportunity to demonstrate his own innocence. And it's just such a beautiful dynamic. Eight, behold, I go forward, but he is not there, backwards, and I do not perceive him. On the left hand, when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right hand, but I do not see him. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. Job is in a moment in his life where he believes that God is absent. He, it's not, there's no experience of God in his life, and God is distant from him. He doesn't understand why. He doesn't understand. He's looking for God. So he says, I go forwards, not there. I go backwards, not there. Because the left hand is not there. Because the right hand is not there. He's not experiencing any of the things that he would expect to experience having lived the righteous life that he lived. But then he says this, and he says, but he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. I love this verse. Job says, God knows that I walk, essentially say, God knows the path that I walk down is a righteous path. And when he's done trying me, Job knows what's going on. He knows that God is testing him. He knows when, when God has done testing me, I will come out like gold. I... I Thank you, Jesus. You know, I mean, but, but it's, it's really hard to embrace and to believe this stuff when you're the one being tested and when you don't like it. But, but the greatness of Job is in his ability to make confessions of this sort, like dotted throughout the book, where like, he just says these incredible things. He knows that he's being tested. He knows the ultimate outcome of it, and he has no complaint against God, even though he believes himself to be completely cut off from God. He has no complaint against God because he knows what this is going to produce in his life, and he's content with that. 
My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and not turned aside. Most people that feel abandoned by God do not do this. But he does. My foot has held fast to his steps. I've kept his way and have not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I've treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. But he is unchangeable. And who can turn him back? What he desires that he does. For he will complete what he appoints for me, and many such things are in his mind. Therefore, I am terrified of his presence. When I consider, I am in dread of him. God has made my heart faint. The Almighty has terrified me, yet I am not silenced because of the darkness, not because thick darkness covers my face. And it goes on in chapter 24, and it's really, really awesome. I'm going to stop there. But, like, but Job is confessing this incredible, amazing, amazing thing, which is that God's not doing what he believes God should be doing in his life as a fruit of his righteousness. But he says in the midst of that, I know what God is doing. See, God knows I'm walking righteously and I know what God is doing. God is trying me so that at the end of this, I can be like gold. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? And I, sometimes, you know, with, even the people in this church, you walk through difficult times. You can't find a job, you know, or something happens. You know, it's, it's difficult. And some of that stuff, honestly, is your own foolishness and Jesus help us. But sometimes it's a genuine, genuine, like, thing that God has brought you through because he wants to fry the chicken again to make it a little bit more crispy. And I like that. And when that happens, it's not an overnight thing, do you know? But, but, but if you're willing to, to wrestle with it and, and not lose faith and not lose sight and not grumble and complain and hate God and God has abandoned me and everybody else has abandoned me and I have no friends and I'm just abandoned. Like, um, if you're willing to, like, to stick with it and not go that direction, you'll be able to confess with Job. You'll be able to confess what Job is, is saying here. When I come out of this, I'm going to be like gold. And that's his aim with you, that your faith would be like gold, that it'd be so pure, so wonderful, so brilliant, so real, that God receives glory for it. Mark chapter 3, we're going to read a quick story here and then bring this thing to an end. Mark 3, 1, when he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And then he said to them, this is the test. He said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? And they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of heart. I've, I don't know how many times I've read this story or thought about this story. It's, it's one of my favorites. Um, I guess they're all my favorites. But this one is one of my favorites for this particular reason. God cares more about the quality of your heart than about your title, your greatness in life, the responsibilities that you have what people think of you. He doesn't care about any of those things. He's on the Sabbath on a, um, he's in the synagogue on, on, on the Sabbath day. And there's a man there in need of healing, right? He has a withered hand. He's in need of healing. And the law of the Jews is that nobody can do anything on the Sabbath. Of course it's hypocrisy, which Jesus exposes in other portions of scripture, other stories that, that we're all aware of. Of course it's hypocrisy, but that's their law anyway. And so Jesus says, so the man, come here. And so the man comes. And he asks, essentially, he asks the Pharisees what he should do. 
and they don't say anything. And the Bible says that he was angered. He was angry at the hardness of their heart. Do you know that there are things that you think that make God happy and there are things that you think that make God angry? And you can be totally right in your own mind or believe that you're totally right in your own mind. And you may have Bible verses. They certainly did. You could have justifications. You could have arguments. You could think that you're totally right and yet be totally wrong. And God could be totally opposed to you. Having a faith that is genuine before God is very different from having a faith that seems nice to people. Because most people do not care about purity of heart. But God does. Most people do not care about what state your heart is in as long as you tithe and serve and show up to volunteer and set chairs well or, you know, are useful in some way to them. But God does. In fact, God cares about your my purity of heart more than he cares about, let's be honest, our money, our influence, the number of TikTok followers we have, what great YouTube videos we can make for him. Like, I mean, he doesn't, doesn't care about any of those. I mean, what, what good does a million dollars do to God? And what, what good does it do? Nothing. Like, it, it doesn't, is God moved by the greatness of our, of our wealth? Is he moved by the greatness of our, what is he, what is it? He does not, he's not, also, he's not moved by the greatness of our, these people were, de, were devout. They, they really were. They memorized the Torah. They've been through years and years of schooling, conditioned their life, like lived ceremonious, like us, uh, through ceremonial cleansing and all, all sorts of, I mean, so many different rules that they follow, so many different things that they did. And yet at the end of it, a very simple question, you know, such as uh, the one that Jesus posed here, revealed that, that the, their faith was elaborate on the outside, but totally not real on the inside. And so what does God do? Thank you so much for all your years of seminary. You know, th thank you so much for being a leader of the church. Thank you so much for, you know, sorry. No, it's not. He's angry at them. He's angry at them because he doesn't care about any of those things. If the heart that we have before him is not real. And so that's why he tests us over and over and over and over again to see if a little bit more money will turn your heart. To see if, you know, somebody paying attention to us will turn our heart to see if like you know a prestigious job or a nice car like to see what it is that 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 will, that will you know reveal that that our heart is not right before him because that's what he wants out of us he just wants us to be in a place where 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 it can be demonstrated to everybody watching to all the angels to all the demons to everybody that you really do have faith in god that you really do have faith in God. And it's not a faith that is circumstantial. It's not a faith that, like when you feel good. It's not a faith when God blesses you. It's not a faith, you know, when you feel important or, you know, when somebody gives you a microphone. Like it's not a, that kind of faith. It's a faith that is real. Like just, it's just real, genuine, true. Nobody can take it from you kind of faith. And there's so few people that have that. Stacey Campbell said to me, um, she, she told me and Esther once about mentorship because she offered to mentor um, Esther and then, uh, uh, and then she said, you know, I don't offer to mentor many people anymore because I, I used to mentor a lot of people and then I would bring them around with me and let them, let them travel with me and go to different places and, and before I spoke, you know, she was invited to mentorship but I, I, you know, after a while I would give them the microphone and just let them talk. Because that's how you can reveal who, what people want. And the vast majority of people just wanted the platform. They didn't want, they just wanted the platform. They just wanted the fame and the recognition and the platform. And you could tell the moment, here, you say something. And, and, and as soon as what's in their heart begins to part, you realize they're not in it for me. They're not in it to serve me. They're not in it for God. They're in it to have a position that people look to them and be like, oh, you're a great teacher. Like it, 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 and it just pours out. And, and it doesn't come out until you test it. And the only way to test it is say, here, say something. Say whatever you like. Say something. 
God does this to us because he loves us. Because he, he loves us. And he wants us to see the ways in which we can grow and, and, and become more real in his eyes. Uh, it's very easy to fool most people. It's slightly less easy to fool the people in this church. It's, it's a little bit more difficult to fool Lily. I'm just kidding. It's slightly more difficult. To, it's more difficult to fool people that don't care about the things that fool others. And it's impossible to fool God. He doesn't care if you're fellowship president or senior pastor. He doesn't, he does, that, like, he, that's of no value to heaven whatsoever. He cares about the man that is homeless and lives in a hut and collects sticks for a living that just loves him and is honest before God every day of his life. I mean, that gives God great, great, great pleasure. It, it, it gives God great pleasure for a poor man that has nothing in this world, collects cans to recycle, to support himself, that just is able to sing hymns and praises from his heart, not because anybody's watching, not because anybody cares, but because he wants to. Like, that gives God great, great, great pleasure. That doesn't mean you can't be rich. Doesn't mean you can't live in a penthouse. Doesn't mean you can't drive a Porsche. God is a, God's not concerned. He's concerned that the, that the faith that you have is genuine before him. There's uh, an evangelist, you guys know him, but I won't name him because I don't, uh, he tells the story publicly, but there's one time he, he had a very big ministry. He was in need of millions of dollars to fund his ministry, to, to do the work of evangelism that God had given him. And he was invited to this country club to eat with two very well-known Christian, Christian businessmen who had never supported his ministry before. And God was so happy. He was like, oh God, thank you so much. This is God, I'm, I'm going to raise millions of dollars. They're going to help me. And then I'm going to, you know, this ministry is, woo, like we're just going to really do some good things in God. So he gets to the country club and, the, and, and he, he thinks, you know, this is a very nice setting, you know, white tablecloth, waiters, the whole bit, country club. I've never been to a country club myself. I hear that they're nice. And so he's, he's, he's there and he's enjoying lunch and, um, and, uh, and he's expecting them to ask about the ministry and how much money they need and what can they fund and, you know, just, and, he's, and he's, he's ready with big numbers. He's got, you know, all the projections, you know, from his accountants and they're big numbers. You know, they're more digits than, you know, than, than one likes to see normally. And, um, and he's ready and he's got, he's got his projections. He's ready to go. And they, not, they, don't, they don't want to talk about his ministry at all. They have some problems with their business and some problems in their own life and they need some counseling and some pastoral help and they heard that he was a wise man and the Lord spoke to him. And, he'd, and so, you know, lunch comes and goes and, you know, he's given some counsel, some prophetic words and, you know, things of that sort. But lunch comes and goes and nobody asks about his ministry. And so he's a little bit upset. And, and he's thinking, should I bring it up? Should I, should I just, you know, by the way, you know, we have some awesome things coming up. You should really consider supporting it. It's a great use of you. Like, should I bring it up? And, and, and he's like, uh, and the opportunity comes and goes, he doesn't bring it up. And, uh, and he's just like, so he goes back home. He's like, oh, what a terrible opportunity. Yeah, what a missed opportunity. I should have really, I, mean, I could have funded myself for years, you know. And, um, and then his, I think it was his assistant gets an email of a, a, and one of the guys he calls him and he says, thank you very much for that lunch. We appreciate it very much. He says, yeah, it was nice. Glad to, you know, blah, blah, blah. Glad to kind of order. And, and then he said, you know, um, you know that, we're, that, that, that we, uh, we have a reputation for, 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 um, for being wealthy and for supporting Christian ministries. He says, yeah, I do know that. And he says, um, we've um, met with many, many, many Christian leaders of ministries like yours. And he said, um, the lunch that we had with you was the very first time in more years than you can recount where I've sat down with someone and they did not ask us for money. And he said, I want to thank you for that. Uh, and I want you to know that we're going to be sending a, you know, whatever, a donation to your ministry. But it's, it, just, it just moved us so much that you didn't ask for money. Paul said about Timothy, he says, I have no one like him who cares about your well-being. That's an incredible statement. That is an incredible statement because Paul knew a lot of people. And he said, I don't know anyone else at that time in his ministry that among the people that he worked with that were traveling with. I don't know anyone else that actually cares about you rather than themselves. 
And how does God bring this out of us? By constantly testing us. Every time that Jen was saying about Athena, that she would travel to the city for the hope of meeting, so I think it was Jen, you know, meeting with someone, you know, and they may or may not show up. And praise God. I hope you do it a thousand times, you know. Because at first they don't show up and you're like, but you're not doing it for them, you're doing it for God. And if you're doing it for God, what does it matter if they show up? But, but, but you see, that's hard for people. Like, that's really hard for people. But you see, as you do that over and over, and as people don't show up, and as it takes you four hours to get there, four hours to get back, and, <laughs> you know, and, and, and like, as you waste entire days on people that don't, don't, don't show I mean, that's what used to happen to Esther all the time at Brown. She, we lived in Boston. She'd go to Brown. She'd go there to, to meet a bunch of people. The vast majority of them would not just simply not show up or cancel at the very last minute, or cancel 45 minutes after the appointment started, you know? And it'd be like, on the one hand, that's disappointing. On the other hand, the way that your heart reacts and your willingness to continue doing this shows us that it was for God. It was not for the people. And this is how we know. This is how we know as your feelings begin to evolve, as your heart begins to not feel hurt, not feel... Do you, do you understand? Because like, you're just interested in pleasing God. And you've pleased God by being there, whether or not they show up or not. And as, it, as time goes on, as this happens to you more and more and more, and your heart stops caring, your faith in that area becomes more genuine. Do you know? When you're young and you do something for people, you want them to say thank you probably, and be acknowledged. And some of us are actually quite desperate to be acknowledged. So for instance, if I give you a birthday present, I have to explain to you exactly how I got exactly why I thought about it, exactly how, how much I researched to get it, exactly. Like, you know, and, you know, why I think it's perfect for you and all the features in here. Let me show you how to use it. And, and hope that you'll say thank you at the end of that and appreciate what a great job I did. But as you grow older in life and you realize that most people don't say thank you, eventually you stop needing people to say thank you. And and then that part of your heart becomes purified so that you're not doing it for them and you're not doing it for their applause, for their recognition, or for their love. But you're doing it simply because it's the right thing to do, which is exactly the way that God does things for us. God does a million things for us that we'll never acknowledge, never even know about in this life. There are so many things that, like, the more I learn about anything, science, philosophy, anything, the more I understand just how much that God has done for us that he never even asks us to thank him for have you ever thanked God for Jupiter? Not in particular, right? Not that planet. Mars, yes. You know, Saturn, probably. Jupiter, no. Did you know that if Jupiter were not there, that Earth would be been gone a long time ago? We'd be assaulted by asteroids. We'd be absolutely assaulted by asteroids. But Jupiter, being a large gaseous planet with a humongous amount of gravity around it, absorbs the vast majority of asteroids that, would, that come into the solar system like on the path to hit Earth. Vast majority of them. They get swept into the orbit on Jupiter and they hit Jupiter. They don't, they, have you ever thanked God for that? Because if Jupiter weren't there, which it's not in most solar systems, by the way. If Jupiter weren't there, we'd all be dead. We'd never been born. We'd be like gone like the dinosaurs, you know. Different story, actually. Different, different story, different time. But, but you didn't know about that, did you? you? You never thought to yourself, oh, the gravitational pull of Jupiter. Lord, only you are able to provide. You provide so well for us every single day. Don't make me tell you about Saturn. I mean, it's just, just day by day, you know. And, and Venus and, and, and like, I mean, Venus is also actually a different story, different time. Mercury, Venus are both very important. Uh, dense, you know, it's okay, it's okay. Dif different story, different time. But the point is that God does a million things for us that we never know to thank him. Have you ever thank God for the gravitational constant? You're like, God, it's such a, a well-established, well-set, or the, you know, the strong nuclear force. Do you know that if it was off by 0.2% in either direction, life would have never existed? Hey, God, thank you so much for all these physical constants that are perfect to sustain life. We don't think, we don't, he doesn't, he doesn't ask us to thank him either. He just does. He says who he is. And the more you do this, the more you can become like him. The first time that you heal someone with your hands, you're going to hope that they tell the story because 
you want everyone to know what a great healer you are. But hopefully by time 50 or 60 or 70 or 80, you've gotten to a place where you don't care if you get the credit, you just want God to get the credit. Do you know? And that only happens to you actually when you're tested. It does not, it's not the sort of thing, it's, a, it's not a mental exercise you can do on your own, like just sitting in your room and be like, mental exercise. What if someone were to offer me the glory of a testimony? Would I accept? Would I not? Would I want it? Would I not? It's not that doesn't work that way. You actually need to go through life and God needs to present the circumstance and you need to be tested over and over and over and over and over again until it becomes real in you. And that's what I hope and that's what I encourage you to embrace about your life. When you go through something and you realize it's a test, enjoy it. Like 1 Peter says, in this you rejoice. Enjoy it. Rejoice that you didn't get the job that you thought you were going to get because handling it well is a testament to your faith. Rejoice that the person that should have loved you hates you instead and is now slandering you even though you invested in them and even though you saved their life because it makes your faith more genuine. Rejoice when people that should be grateful for you complain about you. When people that you serve don't have anything nice to say about you. Like rejoice because these things make your faith before God's more genuine. And that's what he cares about. That's what he desires. Sometimes I also enjoy testing people. I really do. I, I, because it's, it's not because, it's not like, you know, well, I power over you. It's not that at all. It's because I love to see genuine faith come out of people. So if like three people work on something, I love to say thanks to two of them. I love when Sydney works very, very hard to cook dinner, and then I remind her how dirty the kitchen is. Because it, 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 that, that doesn't happen very often. Because it, it, it's like, well, you're rude. I'm, I'm really not. I, I love to see genuine goodness in people. And the only way to see that actually is to provoke them sometimes to show you their other side. And then when there is no other side, Now we're really Christian. Do you know? When Carol and I were um, at uh, Asbury earlier this year, we were standing in line with, with everybody else. And it was lots of hours of standing in line, but then we were all just having a good time in line. Everybody was having a great time in line. And people were talking to their neighbors front and back and just in front of them, behind them, and people were cutting, but nobody cared. Oh, my heart was so grieved. <laughs> people were cutting in line. Uh, we may have facilitated some cutting when we realized that everybody else was cutting and nobody really cared. Um, and, uh, and, and it was fun. And then well, the lady in front of me um, noticed and she said, well, isn't it amazing that everybody is so happy here? And I was like, yeah, it's amazing. Christians being Christians. Like, that's amazing. Do you know? When like, you can be in a situation where people actually act like they're Christians. Where they came out and they set up porta potties so that people have bathrooms and gave hand out snacks so that people could have something to eat. Like, it is amazing when people actually do the things that you would expect Christians to do. Unfortunately, it's so rare that you have to point it out when it happens. But God does not care about the size of the church as much as he cares about the genuineness of your heart. And I want for every single one of us to be able to stand before him one day. And maybe he'll say you had a big ministry, you had a small ministry, a lot of responsibility, you didn't have a lot of responsibility, you had a lot of money, you didn't have a lot. Those things are irrelevant. But I, what, what I want him to applaud you on is how true, how real, how like gold refined seven times. Do you know? And that means that you and I have to be tested. That means that things have to go wrong. It means you have to face tensions and struggles and wars and divisions and, and, and blessings and all sorts of things so that we can get to the bottom of making this more real every single day. I know you agree, most of you, anyway, but walking through it is still hard. And the hard part is reminding yourself that these things are all happening on purpose because God loves me. 
because he cares about me. That things do not work out in my life the way that I hoped and expected on purpose because God loves me, he cares about me, and he wants me to love him and to trust him and to obey him and to know him above all else. Do you know? That's awesome. That's awesome. A while ago, Josiah and Alinette got married and immediately wrecked their car. That's not a fun thing to do right after you get married. Is that a fun thing to do right after you get married? It's not a fun thing to do after you get married. I was so happy. Not because you wrecked your car, but because it's in those situations, they were planning to move to New York. Not because they wrecked their car, but because in those situ circumstances, we can see if the, like, what's going on in the heart. Whereas normally we couldn't, do you know? And ah, the car is irrelevant. The faith is so valuable to God. For that reason, I hope it happens to you more and more and more and more and more. I told you about, you, most of you know, like that we worked very, 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 very hard to plan Homeward last year. And the earliest hurricane in the history of Mexico came through Cancun when we were there. God tests your heart. <laughs> he, he just does. He wants to know that your heart is right before him. And sometimes he moves hurricanes <laughs> to, to, to see how you respond. And, uh, and, and it's a good thing. It's something that we give him glory for. And day by but I want you, uh, really, day by day. I remember once, I, I'm going to tell you this story, and then I'm going to quit. I remember once I was at Chipotle. And uh, uh, please don't misunderstand this story, even though you may. The, 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 all the people that were working there were Hispanic. And the young man in front of me was a Hispanic young man. And the, the, uh, the, the person behind the counter was obviously favoring him because he was Hispanic. Gave him a double portion of everything, gave him double meat, and then said, would you like another meat? And then would you like free guacamole? And would you, and I, back then I didn't have very much money and I didn't, I mean, I still don't typically get guacamole at Chipotle because it's 325 for a scoop, unbelievable friends. Anyways, from back then I definitely didn't and I was just, you know, gonna get my little, the single portion of meat and, and, and Esther would always get the veggie because, you know, she appreciated the guacamole more than me. Anyways, and, and so I'm, I'm, and I'm just sitting there, I'm like so tempted to be offended I may have been a little bit offended because I'm watching this and I'm like, oh, Jesus, like nobody favors me this way. You know, like this is, uh, and, and um, it was actually really hard for me, like for some reason. And uh, I remember that because it was clearly a test, do you know, to see what would happen in my heart. But it's just not clear sometimes when you're going through it that this is a test. I figured, I remember, I, I figured this is probably a test. Like then when I was standing there, I, I was still feeling upset, but I was like, this is probably a test. I, I'm probably supposed to be just, you know, grateful. That's what I'm supposed to be. But it was still very hard. And it happens to you everywhere in life. Don't, it's not like, oh, there's a big moment. It must be a test. No, no, it happens at Chipotle. It happens at the gas station. It happens at Subway. It happens on, on the subway. It happens like it happens everywhere. It happens, it happens when the guy in front of you clearly does not pay the subway fare, but you know, you're like, oh, God, I could be a law-abiding citizen. You know, like I, I mean, it happens to you and, and you got to keep your heart right, you know, and it happens to you all the time. And the reason for it, and the reason God allows this to happen to you a thousand times, 10,000 times, is because every single time it happens to you, your heart becomes a little bit better. And so at the end of 60 years, 70 years, 80 years, whatever it is, that you can stand before him with a heart that is just like gold, as Job says. I know the outcome of this, Job says. I know I come out the other side and I shall be like gold if I do well. It's the same for you. All right. I understand. Let's worship a little bit more and then we'll wrap this thing up. Thank you, Jesus, because you are so awesome to us, because you're so good to us, because you love us so much and give you great glory and great thanks. And pray that you would do a magical thing in us today and every day of our lives so that we would be shaped and conformed into your image more and more and more and more. Thank you for the incredible work that you do in us. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you take care of us, that you see us and remember us. We love and honor you, God. We thank you, Lord, for our mothers, for all the mothers that are here today. We honor you, we are grateful in the Lord for 
for you and for all the sacrifices that you make to raise children, to raise godly children. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.